Hey, it's Steph Dixon and welcome to the Live Wide Awake podcast. Today is a special episode because I'm reposting an interview from the How to Live podcast where I was the guest. The reason I'm doing that is because we went real deep on anxiety and mental health. And if you've been following along with me for a while, you know this is a really important topic. I have been in and out of the darkness and suffered from anxiety since I was 11 years old. In this interview, I bear my soul. I share what it's like, how I support myself through it, and yeah, just kind of the struggle. These conversations really need to be normalized, and the more people who talk about it, the more we can actually break down any taboos that are still lingering around, support others, and of course ourselves. So there's two parts to this interview. The first 20 minutes, we talk about climate change and sustainability, and then we go into mental health and the darkness. I'm really grateful to my friend, life coach, and entrepreneur, Sharad Lal, for sharing my story and using his platform for such meaningful topics. A little bit about his podcast, it explores ways to live a good life. So if you're looking to manage stress, deepen relationships, navigate midlife, build resilience, or simply add more meaning to your life, definitely check it out. Okay, let's dive in. It's time to live wide awake. Hi there, welcome to How to Live, a podcast that explores ways to live a good life. I'm your host, Sharad Lal. This is episode 14. In today's show, we're going to talk about climate change and sustainability. Joining me will be Stephanie Dixon. I got interested in climate change after watching Steph's documentary. She went on an expedition to the Arctic and witnessed the impacts of climate change firsthand. I liked her explanation of the climate crisis. Over millions of years, we've created cities and towns based on weather patterns. Crops were planted in areas where the climate made sense. Cities sprung up where the topography was favorable. Over the years, this worked because the climate was predictable. But in the last hundred years, the climate is changing drastically. Where it's supposed to rain, it doesn't. Where it's supposed to be hot, there are fires. Coastal cities are under threat of being drowned out. We cannot shift the way we've organized the world fast enough to account for these massive changes in climate and topography. As a result, the world we've created for ourselves is becoming unfit to live in. The latest IPCC reports have confirmed that we are already in a crisis. But there's good news. There are solutions. We have momentum. Now it's time to collectively act. Steph and I talk about this, sustainability, and how we as an individual can make a difference. Here's a brief introduction of Steph. She's an entrepreneur and a leading voice for sustainability in Asia. She's a two-time TEDx speaker, a prestige 40 under 40, leader of Tomorrow by Tatler. Steph has founded Green is the New Black, Asia's first conscious festival and media platform. This was back in 2015 when there was very low awareness about the climate. CNBC describes her as the sustainability entrepreneur helping Asian businesses combat climate change. Steph also hosts a successful podcast. She is on a mission to make conscious living mainstream, accessible, and sexy. Before getting to the interview, here's thanking all of you for your overwhelming support. The podcast is now listened to in over 55 countries. Thank you for spreading the word and all the encouraging messages. Now here's the interview. Hi, Steph. Welcome to How to Live. Great to have you on the show. Hope you're having a good day. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Excellent. Let's get started. Now, I know you started in fashion and then afterwards you went into climate change and sustainability even before it was cool. What made you move there and when did you do that? 
As you said, I used to work in fashion. I used to run fashion festivals around Asia. I always wanted to work in fashion. I dreamt about working in that industry as a little girl. And so when the opportunity arose, I was totally grabbed at it. After about four years in, I started feeling a little bit on autopilot and all of a sudden started coming across information that was talking about the fashion industry being a very unsustainable place. Then I watched a documentary called The True Cost, which was truly eye-opening. And I fell very deep into the rabbit hole and realized that fashion was actually one of the most polluting industries in the world and one of the most socially corrupt. And I had no idea that this was actually happening behind the very glamorous curtain that the industry displays. So I had a bit of a personal crisis, I guess you can say, where I was, as I said, deep in the rabbit hole, trying to understand what was happening and just feeling really blindsided, to be perfectly honest, that I didn't actually know that this was going on. I felt almost like, how could I not have known? Because the problem is it runs so deep behind and and into the industry. I basically quit my job and decided I wanted to be part of the solution instead of continuing to perpetuate the problem. So I started doing a lot of research, trying to figure out what I could do. And having come from an events background, I decided to start doing small meetups where I could learn about sustainability because at the time, a lot of the events were really preachy or really businessy. And I just didn't feel welcome or I felt completely out of my depth because the information was just too overwhelming. So I decided to start at a slower pace and do small meetups. And that led me to launch the Conscious Festival, which is to date still our biggest event that we do. And now it's grown to be in multiple different cities from Singapore, Hong Kong, and last year, Paris, having about 5,000 people. And now it's hybrid as well, post-COVID integrating. And we did a virtual one as well. So it's been quite a journey. When I started in 2015, I was laughed at a lot by my friends. They didn't understand what I was doing. They were making jokes in front of me that I was going to be this hippie and blah, blah, blah. That was part of the the impetus to keep me going and get creative about, okay, how can I design something that's really cool because what I was discovering was amazing. I was discovering all these incredible brands and humans that were creating really cool, beautiful products that no one really knew about. So I wanted to build a platform to talk about all the great stuff that was happening and to start making sustainability cool. So that's really what drove the mission for a long time, kept me going through all the tough times, (laughs) is how can we make this something that is accessible, but also a little sexy for people as well. If you could talk a little bit about the Conscious Festival, the kind of people you met, uh, like you said, 5,000 different people, and you brought them out over these seven years now. Yeah, well, I mean, over seven years, I think we're over 30,000 people that we've had join our oh, events. Wow. Each event is about 5,000 now. So over the years, yeah, it's been an amazing amount of people that have come through our doors. It's a real variety. Obviously, the real diehard sustainability people that come and they just want to also connect to other brands and meet other people in the space. There's also young, a lot of young parents that come that want a better future for their kids. There's also a lot of working professionals. And then there's just people that get dragged along by their friends that have no idea what they're coming to. And those are my favorite because then they come in there. All of a sudden, they're looking around. They're like, oh, wow oh, is is that like a a compost over there? And what is that? And then they start realizing like, oh, I'm at this really cool fun event and it's also super sustainable. Hopefully that kind of helps them along their journey of sustainability as well. Because we've been on our own journey. When we started, I had no idea what I was doing. Over the years, as my sustainability knowledge has grown and the people that we're working with and involved in, so has the platform. But it's always managed to bring a really amazing group of people, really welcoming, fun community. And that's always been a really great part of it. I think one of the big things that 
I always loved is when people came up to us after a talk or we bumped into them later and they'll say, oh yeah, actually it was your event that first made me think about this. And that dove me into all of these different things on their own rabbit hole or that they'd quit their job to help their family business be more sustainable. You hear all these beautiful stories and those are the things that really kept us going especially because it is tough doing large scale events and it was tough to survive through COVID as many people I'm sure can relate to. So the community really made it and kept us going through, through all of this. For people who are not completely aware, what really are these sustainability people, these small entrepreneurs who, who do stuff related to sustainability? If you can just give a description of a few of them so we can visualize them. Yeah, absolutely. I can share, especially the ones that I discovered in the beginning. So there was this one brand by this lady and she was making necklaces that was were upcycled. So she was collecting pipes and building materials basically that were going to landfill. She was working with this collective of women to actually create and craft the necklaces and paying them fair wages and had beautiful stories of how these pieces were created and that they were upcycled, diverting waste from landfill. And they were stunning. This was one of the first brands that I fell in love with because not only did I think that their brand was so on trend and so funky and timeless, but also they had this incredible story and they were just making it so cool. Fast forward now, there's so many amazing people that are doing such creative stuff. There's a beer brand in Singapore called Crust Beer and they collect stale bread from bakeries and from supermarkets and they use that bread to actually as the yeast for the beer that they're making and that's all done within Singapore. That's so cool. You're taking a problem, an existing waste product and you're making something that people can consume and it's a homegrown brand. I, I think it can be really doom and gloom when you talk about sustainability or you first get awoken up in, in the rabbit hole of all the deep information and the overwhelming and very anxiety-inducing facts. But then when you discover all of the humans who are using their time and their intelligence and their creativity to actually change the game, that gives a lot of positivity around it again and can make you continue to believe in humanity to save the day. <laughs> Absolutely. Inspirational stories. And, and it's good to see, like you said, some of them are taking these learnings into bigger organizations as well and helping them bring sustainability in there. Are there any examples that come to mind for those? What's interesting is a lot of big corporations can actually purchase some of these sustainable companies so that they are changing the, the game. So for example, Unilever purchased Ben & Jerry's. Ben & Jerry's is actually very much a social activist and environmentalist company, even though they produce ice cream. They are huge advocates. They will help to sponsor and help create movements and educational campaigns around climate change and other social issues. And now they've got their whole vegan range. They were one of the first big companies to actually create a vegan range. More and more, we're seeing that these businesses are actually seen as something that is profitable and valuable to massive corporations. And then, of course, you have other companies that are able to go in and really help corporations to reduce their footprint and educate their customers about it. There's one that came out of Singapore called Handprint. They're both consumer-facing and business-facing, and they basically have all of these different carbon-offsetting projects that they're working on around Asia, and they're also helping to educate corporations 
corporates. It's fantastic. I think the more that people, even from within these companies, can actually push for more sustainability initiatives, especially now with all the ESG reporting and all the regulations, uh, we're going to see a lot more shift happening because we need it. Absolutely. When you started, it was still at a native stage, but now not only entrepreneurs, but companies, governments, many individuals have got together as a movement to move it forward. What are the big changes that you've seen in this field, which are taking the planet to a better place? When I started in 2015, people were like, sustainability, what, what does that even really mean? And why does it matter? And what are you thinking? This is such a waste of time. It was just a really, there was a lot of resistance against it back then. Then you fast forward a few years, people are starting to open up, more people are getting aware of the issues, more companies are starting and doing things in a way more structural way and really solving some of the world's problems. Yeah, trying to grow and, and succeed. And now you're seeing that most corporate companies, it is on their lips. ESG, which is environmental social governance, yes. this, which is all the regulation that's coming out in the coming years or have already started being mandated. Every company has to deal with this. And if they're not dealing with it, well, they're not going to be around for very long because the regulation is finally catching up and is here. It, it is exciting to finally see that more and more people are talking about it. Of course, I still live in echo chamber. Sometimes I do need the reality check because I forget actually that there's still so many people that need to be woken up and brought uh, into this way of thinking and you know into this whole shifts for sustainable lifestyles and living, but also sustainable business. Sure. For folks outside the echo chamber, and I know there's lots outside there, what are some of the things that we could do to make our little difference towards this? There is this incredible company called Project Drawdown, and Chad Frischman is okay. the head scientist of that group. And I always quote him because I think I just love his whole philosophy on on this. And he always says, "Choose your own adventure." And it's so simple, yet it's so powerful because this can be fun. This doesn't have to be a sacrifice as an, on an individual level. It can be an adventure. It can be something that you're passionate about and you get excited about. And really, when you find something that a topic that you are passionate about, you can go out and make that change and bring other people along for that journey as well. And it, it can be fun. So I think their philosophy is really amazing. Also, they are very well backed in science and they have, I think it's over a hundred different solutions to solve the climate crisis. What they also say is that they're 80% of the solutions that we need to mitigate already exist. It's really just about implementing and amplifying. You can literally look at the list, figure out what you're passionate about, the things that you can do that will make a difference in your life that stretches you a little bit because at Green is New Black, we always talk about sustainability is a journey. You can take step by step as long as you continue to move forward, stretch a little bit out of your comfort zone and then find the excitement for it and, and the passion. Another person that I actually interviewed on my podcast is the founder of Just Meet, Josh Tetrick. And he said something which I resonated with me very deeply because he said, at this point in the world, there is no real excuse for you not to be spending your time and your work solving one of the world's most pressing problems because there is so much funding going into different aspects of this. There is so much support now. And if you have a great idea and, and a solid business plan, like you can actually also do good and do well. And that's the beauty of this now that I think a lot of people don't even realize or you don't need to be an entrepreneur, but you can join a company who is doing something that is good, or you can be the one that acts as an entrepreneur within your current company structure and push them to be more sustainable. 
The other thing is, of course, food is a massive part of this conversation. Agriculture is one of the biggest polluters. There are billions of animals that are slaughtered on a monthly basis. The last stats that I heard of is between 45 and 55 billion animals are killed on a yearly basis. That that stat alone is is just insane. So you have to think about the impact that has on the planet, that the Amazon forest, one of the biggest reasons it's continually destroyed is for agricultural land. So we're basically killing the lungs of the earth to produce animals. Obviously, food is a tough one for people. And I'm not saying that everyone should go vegan or be plant-based, but just be a little more curious about what's on your plate, where did it come from, how was it made? And also think about maybe just looking at a little bit of a flexitarian diet. There are so many different versions of diets nowadays, and it's way easier in most places in the world to be flexible. So you can even just start reducing meat and having meat less, a lot less in the week. You can even look at other diets like pescatarianism or there's reducitarianism. There's like so many different isms of diets. And that's exciting because you can find something that works for you that's a little bit of a stretch, but also then you can discover all these other incredible foods. As a collective, we can really shift. And if you're looking for other little daily things that you can do, there's a great resource called by the United Nations called Anatomy of Action. And they have five areas in our lives that basically if all of us did the things that they suggest and they're really simple switches, we would have a huge impact for the planet. Thanks for that. And I'm going to get the resources from you and put it in the show notes for people who are interested. There are a few things there that I want to double click. And the first one that you talked about, I think the name was Project Drawdown, right? In that you talked about fun ways of doing things which are also sustainable. Do you have one or two examples that come to mind? Diet's a huge one because Mm. you can get so curious and experimental with different cuisines that you've never even looked at that are lighter for the planet and impact. And that can be something fun, especially if you love cooking and being in the kitchen. Other ones is fashion. If you love clothes, then you can really go on a very fun adventure to discover brands that are doing things in a way better way and also really beautiful or even start getting into pre-loved their pre-loved luxury and normal markets are growing so quickly and there's so much potential for that as well. Or even just getting creative with your own wardrobe. If you did a wardrobe audit, you pulled everything out of your wardrobe and you started looking at what do you actually wear, then there's the opportunity to start upcycling or getting creative or cutting things or restitching stuff together. You can really look at that as a whole family activity as well if you wanted to. Great examples there. The thing that I'm very interested in is food. For someone who doesn't know food too well, are there resources out there which rate foods in terms of how well they're doing in terms of sustainability? Yeah, absolutely. There's this one graphic that shows you the carbon footprint or and emissions of all of the different uh, types of food. Obviously, well, meat is the most at the very top. Coffee's pretty high. Chocolate's kind of middle. Obviously, plants and nuts go down towards the bottom. And it's really interesting because you can very easily see dairies around the middle level, middle high, I guess you could say. And it's just a really easy, simple visualization that I'm sure we can also link in the show notes that just demonstrates sure. the impact of the choices or the type groups of food that you would be eating. So that's one really good one. Another one is most carbon calculators also show you this. If you just wanted to figure out your individual carbon footprint, a lot of them actually then show you like the input impact of removing or adding different parts like meat or dairy or uh, seafood and like the impact that would have. 
And then there's some really great websites like a billion. So a billion was started out of Singapore as well. And it is a plant-based review platform that now has had millions of reviews around the world. And it's really cool what they do because for every review that you do for a plant-based dish or a plant-based product, they actually give you $1 and that $1 will be donated to a organization and charity of your choice via their website. And that is also a great tool to discover restaurants nearby you. And it's not necessarily all plant uh, vegan restaurants. It's restaurants that actually cater for good dishes. So it could be just then you can go and you can eat good plant-based dishes or find good plant-based products. And they have ratings and they have awards and all these kind of things. So you can very easily find the best of the best. So there's a lot of stuff like that's available. And one of the, if you were curious to explore explore. There's like veganuary. So it's, it normally happens in January, but you can do it at any point where you go vegan for a month and it gives you a lot of support to help you discover what to eat, what kind of products are vegan versus what are not and how to navigate that with recipes and community support and all that type of thing. There you can find the information very quickly in summary. And there are some great companies that can help you along the way on your new curious journey. And of course, a lot of great Instagram accounts as well. Sure. Thanks for that, Steph. As you spoke about all these things, what struck me is that with sustainability and climate change, there's so many related values and you can pick what value is important to you and take this on through that value. So if minimalism works for you, it could be a wardrobe clean out. If creativity works, it could be fashion. So that makes it very accessible. Yeah. And I would say like one other big thing is when you're throwing stuff, there is a lot of communities on Facebook that will take your unwanted things. When I moved house, I was able to rehome so much stuff, like really random stuff. Like I had a packet of stationery. I had some stamps, like small things that I wasn't going to use. And I just listed all of these different things on these sites and people came and collected them. There are also places that if your clothes can't be donated because they're in bad quality or they've got stains on them or whatever, there are textile recycling places that you can drop them off. So at least the textile will get recycled or it can be downcycled into couches and carpets and all these types of things. It's a little bit of a stretch of the research, but then you can really know that you've done everything you could. Thank you, Steph, for playing such a huge role in making the planet a better place for all of us. That was part one of the interview. The second part focuses on Steph's challenges with mental health and anxiety. Many of us have faced or are facing mental health challenges. The global pandemic has magnified this. Having excelled at the highest levels, Steph has had her shares of struggles with mental health. In today's episode, she talks openly about the anxiety and darkness that periodically confront her. What's it like? How does she face up to it? What's worked for her? Steph shares multiple practical tools and resources that all of us can use for our mental well-being. It takes tremendous courage to talk about one's mental health challenges in a public forum. We have the deepest respect for Steph in doing so. You're a successful entrepreneur. You're an inspiration to so many people. You've set up a business. You're an activist. Can you talk a little bit about the ups and downs over the last few years? It's certainly been a roller coaster. (laughs) (laughs) I've suffered a lot from anxiety and I just call it darkness now because it's a little bit of depression. It's a little bit of anxiety. It's a little bit of insomnia. 
So I've been battling in and out of the darkness for ever since I can remember, to be very honest. And a lot of stuff gets exasperated with the work that I do being an entrepreneur and being a female and putting a lot of pressure on myself in the beginning, just also having a lot of impatience and wanting to be further along in my journey than I was. So that was a big battle for a long time. And then on top of that, COVID, I think so many of us suffered very greatly with mental health and darkness moments during the last couple of years of the pandemic. And I think if you already suffered from these types of mental health issues, that was just amplified and hit you even harder. And so I just think that this is a really important conversation to normalize and speak about. I speak about it a lot because it's tough. It's it's hard. Living, being human is hard sometimes. And being an entrepreneur is really difficult. What is that darkness like? How do you see it? Where does it sit? So when the darkness comes up for me, it's very debilitating. I get really sad. I get really heavy. Everything feels just dark. It's hard for me to be joyful or get excited about things. When sometimes I, I go deep into existential crisis around having kids or not having kids, should I bring children into this world? Should I, how am I going to get through? What if I, they get my anxiety, but worse, or what if the world gets even worse? <laughs> so I, it goes very dark sometimes. I am still like a performing darkness person. <laughs> so I can still get stuff done, but it's not healthy because then I'm pushing myself and that's when I burn out and I burn out after every single festival. And I, I love what I do, but the events are exhausting and I push myself so hard because I can, and then I completely collapse afterwards. And that's just not healthy also. So also trying to figure out more healthy ways to just be and be able to work. It really is all consuming sometimes and everything just feels really heavy. So that's what the darkness is like. And it can be, and then it's normally, if especially if I'm very anxious, it affects my sleep more. So then I have these horrible nightmares and then wake up feeling really anxious and unrested. And that is, that's a vicious cycle because when you don't sleep, then everything else is just so much harder throughout the day. So that's the darkness. It's not pleasant to hear. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I know it's very difficult to do. And I heard your interview where you talked about being a perfectionist, whether it's your events and, and putting yourself fully out there. And I don't know if that's related to darkness where you're pushing yourself and that is straining you. My battle with perfectionism has been as debilitating or a huge part of the darkness because but that is a lot to do with what I thought of myself and what others, what I wanted others to think of me as well. And at the end of the day, I was it was operating a lot out of a place of fear. And I've done a lot of work to let go of a lot of that and not be so perfect all the time. Of course, I still have my moments as most people do, but now I just realize like perfection sucks. It's painful and it's neurotic and anxiety inducing and keeps me all, you know, like round up like a little ball trying to control everything like a control freak, but that's not normal. And when I manage to find myself more in a place of love or flow or just relax and peace and go a little bit slower, then actually things work so much better. And there's just acceptance that not everything goes perfectly all the time. And at the end of the day, I feel like things always work out, even though they're really difficult and painful at the time. When you look back, things do work out the way they're supposed to even though that can be a really difficult pill to swallow when you are going through a tough time. So yeah, I think I really have let go a lot of the perfectionism side 
as much as I can. There's still things that I think are neurotic and especially my husband has to deal with a lot of it. <laughs> but <laughs> I think there is a way to loosen the grip and it is quite freeing and empowering in a very counterintuitive way for a perfectionist. But then afterwards it becomes, oh, okay, if that's how this feels and I'm going to do more of it. And it reinforces a different type of behavior, which is great. Steph, you're like a high performer with tremendous self-awareness, a tremendous concern for the planet, for the world, for people who you work with. It's, uh, I don't know what to say. Thank <laughs> you look, for doing it. It's taken a long time to get here. I've battled in and out of the darkness for a long time and done a lot of work to get to this level of self-awareness. And I'm still not even halfway there, but it's exciting. I love the personal development work. I think it, it really, in it, when you get make progress, it's, oh my gosh. And it's just the best feeling actually for me. Like I, I just love when I get more into the light and I can see things in a different way and I handle things in a way better way than older Steph would have done. It's, oh, I can actually be proud. Look at that. Look at the progress. <laughs> That's awesome. Can you talk through some of the work that you've done and some tools that have been useful to you? Yeah. I don't even know where to begin, to be honest. Uh, the first thing I did was journaling. That was really helpful to get out of my head in the beginning. I did a lot of meditation back then. Uh, I've fallen, I've gone in and out of meditation. Now I, I meditate every day for 10 minutes with a great app called Waking Up with Sam Harris, which I love. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's a good one. But yeah, lots of that. Then I started exercising consistently and that's been game changing for me. I do something called The Class and it's by this lady in the US. It's 40 US a month. It's all online. And it's a mix between, I would say, hit strength training, and then mindfulness practice. So they give you these little prompts, and you also shake it out, you make a lot of noise. And I think the biggest thing shift for me is getting into my body. And with something like this, where it's a guided mindfulness practice as well, and you really get into your body, you're shaking a lot of the stuck emotion and getting out of my head is a very toxic place sometimes. So if I can get into my body, everything gets better. And so that was a huge thing for me. I did Gene Keys, which we could do a whole podcast just on Gene Keys. It is fascinating. It basically creates a blueprint of the, from the moment you were born, basically calculate and understand how your genes are made up. It was just like a mirror being held up in front of me and reading all of these things about how I was made up and how I'm wired. For me, when I have language and understanding about the patterns that I have, mm -hmm. it just gives this whole depth of understanding and awareness that I never had before because some things just I wasn't able to explain or describe and then or even see the patterns. And then when you do this kind of work, you're actually able to see, oh yeah, that's exactly the shadow that I go into when this happens or, and that is a gift that I have. And it's just really empowering. So that was a huge on the mental side. And recently I've been doing a lot of breath work and somatic healing and somatic healing is all about shifting all the stuck emotion and all getting out of your head and deeply into your body because our bodies are magical places and they really get stuck with a lot of the emotion over the year and that trips us up. And so when we can shake it all out and everything, and, and that has really taken me to a whole nother level recently. I think that one of the biggest things is getting out of my head. So anything that gets me out of my head into my body and especially breath work, it's so powerful. And I do it with a therapist that brings me back to my childhood and we then heal wounds that have, I've been carrying around or patterns that started when I was like five or six or even 18. That's huge because then you deeply understand why you, your body goes into a certain way, why you go into a certain pattern. And to be able to release that 
it's just like letting go of all this heavy baggage. And you're like, oh, okay, I can breathe again. You mentioned when you do some of this and you can see changes in yourself that Steph from four years ago would have done something different, but Steph today has done this. Even if it's a small step, you're making progress. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things, my husband is an amazing teacher uh, for me because I used to be much more of a shitty, snappy wife or fiance back then. And now I'm way more patient. So little moments with him where it's like, oh, handled that really well. <laughs> it's like those little things that are great. But then also I think just general things like in the entrepreneur journey, there's always things that can derail you, especially if you're highly sensitive or emotional or exhausted or whatever. There's just so many little things that can massively trip you up. And I used to get tripped out and I used to sit and ponder and focus and stress about so many different things. And now I find that when stuff goes wrong, it's okay. Or when things don't go my way, there's just a little bit more acceptance around it. I mean, like, okay, I don't need to spiral out on this and I don't need to make all these assumptions anymore and I'm not going to take any of this stuff personally. And those were big lessons that I learned and allowed me to have those little moments like, oh, Steph would have taken that really personally, completely spiraled out for three days on that. But new Steph is, okay, it is what it is. I'm not going to create a whole story around that and just moves on. And then a couple of hours later, the, the explanation of what actually happened comes out and <laughs> you were like, yeah, great. Good thing I didn't spiral out and create a lot of stories around that. So I think a book that I've reread recently that helped with this is The Four Agreements, hmm. which is a fantastic book. It's all Tolik wisdom. And that talks about the four agreements, which are being impeccable with your word, not taking anything personally, not making assumptions and always doing your best. So that's been my mantra for like the last six months. I do it every morning before I get out of bed, like repeat it in my head. And that's been hugely helpful for this progression as well to not make assumptions because I am a big story creator and assumption maker. And so now having that little, oh, no, let's not create, let's not make assumptions and just wait and give space to things. And then actually the reality comes out. That's been yeah, a big shift. Are there any other books that you would recommend other than Four Agreements that have really helped you in this journey? Yeah. One of the books that really deeply changed my life was You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. That is just a fantastic book. So Louise Hay was the founder of Hay House Publishing back in the day. I think it was in the 80s. She wrote You Can Heal Your Life. It was her first book. And at the time, no one would publish her book. So she said, screw it. And she, I think she was like in her 50s, 60s or 70s or something wild like that. And she just decided to self-publish. And now Hay House is one of the largest alternative publishing houses in the world. They produce some incredible books and author, launch authors' careers and everything. And, and that was all from her. And that book really helps to give, especially with an overactive mind, it explains how our thoughts are created, are deeply connected to the ailments that are created in our body. And and then there's this whole section at the back of the book that you can heal your body where you can look up like a headache or a urinary tract infection or whatever, like all the different things you can look them up. And it tells you the probable thought pattern that caused that. And then a new wow. thought pattern to a new mantra almost to replace that thought pattern. And nine out of 10 times, it's been accurate. <laughs> and I've also done this for a lot of girlfriends and a lot of other friends. And every time they're like, oh, yeah. That's exactly where my head's been. And it's just so crazy how our thoughts 
actually create a lot of dis-ease. It's what she, she breaks the word disease up to be dis-ease and how we're actually creating this dis-ease in our body through our thoughts. And of course, this can go so far and I'm not, I don't, don't fully believe everything about what she says, but I think there's a lot of it that just makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, so that book was really life-changing for me. And that kind of was probably one of the first real books I read on self-help that made a lot of sense and activated a lot of change in my uh, thought process. Thank you for that. Any shows and movies you'd recommend that impacted you or documentaries? I feel like I love the Tim Ferriss podcast, actually, mm. because he talks a lot about mental health and a lot about a variety of different issues, including now more about sustainability, which I'm really happy to see. Mm. And there's a lot of really amazing interviews on that. So I would say more just like shows, I think, around this kind of topic. Mm. And Brene Brown, she's yes. incredible. Like all, all of her podcasts, her solo mm. podcasts, I will be specific. Mm. I don't really listen to her interviews so much, but her solo podcasts are out of this world good because they're so simple she breaks it down so easily and i just love her playful nature around it so i think she's just yeah fantastic so it's more I, but this is the thing people have to find what works for them louise hay Brene brown sometimes tim ferris these kind of people they work for me because they all have very overactive minds and they've all suffered in and out of um, depression and anxiety all of the things that i can understand and so they speak a language that i get and they also yeah, they're just really digestible and they make it really simple. I really also like Joe Dispenza. Everything time I do hear him, I think, wow, that, that makes a lot of sense because he make, he explains how the science and the spiritual work together and it and he makes it really clear and really easy, but he's a neuroscientist. So those people kind of work for me. So I, I like the kind of intellectual meets, I wouldn't say spiritual, but more like philosophical side. I have this last question. At the end of your life, how would you know you've lived a good life? Oh, what a great question. <sighs> the thing that I'm searching for most in my life and that keeps me battling through the darkness is finding peace. It's not even happiness. It's, it's just having this feeling of peace. And if I can get to the end of my life and I found peace and I'm just in a space place where I'm more in the light than the dark. And I really just am satisfied with my life and with my family. And I don't torture myself. I would say that's a pretty good life. <laughs> so for me, yeah, at, at the end of my life, I hope I've found peace and been able to deeply enjoy that for at least a few decades of my life, because the first few were very painful. Thank you, Steph, for displaying tremendous courage in openly sharing your struggles. Here's one action step all of us could consider. If we are going through depression, anxiety or any other mental health challenge, we could consider seeking help from a therapist. Often people are worried about going to therapy. They're not sure what to say, whether it'll work or not, but there's only one way to find out, giving it a shot. Some people are not sure who to go to. In the show notes, we'll be listing therapists in Singapore that has been compiled by a leading blog here. You could also check out the previous episode where we talked about intimate relationships with Dr. Oberdin Marinetti. He's a leading therapist in Singapore who you could consider as well. I have personally greatly benefited from therapy and I'm happy to talk to anyone about therapists, the experiences that I've had and how it's helped me in life. That's it for today's episode. I hope it was useful. 
Till next time, have a wonderful day ahead. Bye bye. I'm curious, what did you think about the episode and what were your main takeaways? Is there a topic you want me to dive deeper into? I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at Steffel Dixon or at Live Wide Awake. If you got something out of the podcast and you want to continue this journey with us, consider subscribing and supporting. I hope that today's conversation stirred something deep within you ready to awaken. And until next time, live wide awake. Mm-hmm.